0: Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday morning podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at org. This morning we are going to continue our... Uh... Our uh, series from the book of Ephesians, I would like to ask you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, a very important uh, passage of scripture uh, for us to share together. But let's, um, I'd like to have just a short word of prayer before we open God's word and ask God's blessing upon it. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon your word. Might your words be heard this morning. May our hearts be open and sensitive to your words and to what you have for us. And may we take these words and apply them to our lives as we walk and live for you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, there's very uh, very few sections in the epistles written to us that are specifically written to family and other relationships in the New Testament, some of the things that are the general principles for Christian life certainly apply to our marriages, our parenting, our workplace. And so uh, specifically, though, this is one of the passages, along with Colossians, that specifically addresses some relationships. Whenever I've and I've preached through Ephesians before and or done some series on this passage before and uh, it always... Whenever I preach on this series or teach on this this passage from Ephesians 5 and uh, verses 21 uh, through 33, incidentally, uh, Gary uh, preached two weeks ago from Ephesians, and we we did leave off uh, verses 19 through 20. uh, Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We decided to save that passage because the second Sunday in June, our choir is going to present their annual choir favorites, where they get to pick out songs that they have shared this last year, and they're going to share those in the morning service. So we're going to use that passage as our scripture text to go along with that as well. So don't don't think we just forgot. Um, That's what we're going to do. When we come to the next section, and I'm looking at my Bible in the NIV, and it says, Wives and Husbands. Whenever I preach or teach on this, um, I generally get uh, emails and letters from people <clears throat> and uh, nicely written. And I appreciate that. I always appreciate your comments, your emails, your letters. Um, it's always nice when you sign them. You know, if you, send me an, if you send me an anonymous note or you have something in the church that you're concerned about, and it's anonymous. You know, I appreciate that, too. It, it's, I can't really talk to you about it, but I, I understand I, that, that's sometimes appropriate. But um, so I want to give a little disclaimer before I speak on this talk. Quit smiling, Gary. Will you laugh? You want to come up here and preach today? You want? To? Okay. <laughs> I give you the easy passages. All right. Um, I want to give a little disclaimer about this passage. That, um, and you can write me anyway. That's fine. Yeah, I appreciate it. But yes, I am fully aware of situations out of the ordinary, out of the expected. I am certainly aware of uh, areas of abuse, of uh, spouses who who do not live up to their side of of the equation. Um, Sometimes, well, like in my case, my mother was married to a non-believer. How does that work into this scripture? I'm, I'm fully aware of it. And I also am fully aware that not everybody here today is married. Many of you are not married. I'm fully aware of that, and um, it's in the Bible, and I didn't write it; God wrote it. And here's what, here's what I want to suggest to you today, though, because I, you know, one of the wonderful things about preaching and teaching God's Word is sometimes, well, every time, really, hopefully, um, there's new things, there's fresh things, there's new insights that just as you read and study God's word. And I'll have to tell you a few weeks back, I said, when I was in Tucson on vacation and, uh, some time I was just reading through this section, knowing it was coming up to preach on, did any books or study items with me. I just had my Bible and which is always, you know, that's where we start. And that's, you know, when we prepare sermons, we preach from the Bible. The reference materials are there to help us, but our text is the Bible, at least at our church. And, um, As I read this, all of a sudden it occurred to me, I had a whole new insight on this, that so often we get so focused on explaining, you know, words like submission, you know, respect, uh, total love, uh, all in sacrificial love. Many of us some years ago, boy, it's been a few years now, uh, our marriage committee organized a, a trip to a conference in Spokane called Love and Respect. And we, those of us that went, we just really loved it. It was just a great conference. And uh, the authors, Etheridge out uh, of Grand Rapids, did a great job of presenting this whole idea of this, this cycle in the marriage of love and respect and how they go together and how they feed on each other. Many of you really benefited from that. There were about 60 of us, I think, that went to that conference that year. And but but and, and so but sometimes we get so focused on looking at this and explaining this and thinking of this in you know different cultural terms and so on. There's a big picture item here that just really jumped out at me as I read this passage, and so I would like I would really like this to be our focus for this Sunday and next Sunday as we as we as we deal with this passage, through the rest of chapter five, chapter six. Pastor Kevin's going to preach on because it fits in right. Well, with uh, Kevin and Candace are gone this weekend, but he's going to be preaching on this on our high school graduation day, which has to do with parents and children and young people. And so he'll be preaching on that that Sunday. But what really just jumped out at me, I don't know what a phrase to use, I read this, was that this passage primarily is about Christ Everything else, the relationships and the teaching and the instructions are all related to Christ. And so listen to this. I'm going to read this. And as I read it, I'm going to try to read it with emphasis on, on Christ. So you see how many times the Lord or something specifically related to the Lord is mentioned in this passage. And it really begins in verse 21. So I'm going to read it that way to try, obviously, to try to emphasize this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. His body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ... In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds it and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And here's the crowning verse to this whole passage. This Really, we should start with this verse. And then work backwards, you will know, come back to it. This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church or his church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So do you see that in that passage? Do you, do you see that? How many times this that Christ, he himself, Savior, the focus of this passage is Jesus Christ. And if we come to understand what Christ has done and who Christ is and his attitude and if we and if we if we fully begin to grasp what that means for us as Christians, these other things will fall into place a little a little more make a little more sense and and some of the controversy and concern and the words and stuff find their place when we understand what we're talking about first. This is about Christ and his church, and then how this affects our relationships in God's plan for society, God's plan for salvation. And so I want to begin there and and talk a little bit about about Christ. And I want to begin back at verse 21. Now, you'll notice in your Bibles oftentimes there's a break between 21 and 22. In my case, in in the NIV Bible I'm looking at, It has a major heading, wives and husbands. And there's a question, Is verse 21, because the original original writing in the Greek did not have paragraph or verse breaks, so we're left to to put those together where it seems to make sense. The translators have done that for us. Now, in this particular case, the previous paragraph ends with verse 20, and the NIV, verse 21, kind of stands as a one-sentence paragraph, which we don't generally write, correct? Generally, if I have more than one sentence in a paragraph, but it's a one-sentence paragraph, and then we have the paragraph on verses 22 to 24, speaking directly to the wives. So I want to suggest you, verse 21 is, is, is a hinge that connects both those passages. It should be connected with verse 22, but it also goes around, goes along with the previous verses because. In verse 21, that probably the, 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 the proper translation of the Greek would be submitting. It's a, it's a middle participle. Participle, generally, just think in terms of the ing words. You know, the running, the eating, the thinking, uh, you know, the things you're doing on a continual basis. And so really, it's probably better translated submitting to one another. And it goes back with the previous verses, where Paul says in verse 19, speaking to one another singing to one another giving thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ so it's those it's those ing words those participles submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ and then he's going to talk about several relationships and the next the next phrase is wives literally in the greek it's wives to your husbands all the Greek scholars, that I all the commentaries, all the scholars that I could access, there's pretty well universal agreement that our, our translations are correct in placing the word submit there because it's clearly in the Greek language implied from the previous sentence. So when it says submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives submitting to your husbands, yes, the Greek says wives to your husbands, but that is the reference it's was talking about. So verse 21 is, is really the, is the intro, the key to it. And I think at the end there, where, we, where we're reminded the profound mystery in verse 32, that I'm talking about Christ and the church. Those are a couple of bookends I want you to think about. When you think about your family, your relationships, and even beyond the family, I want you to think about it with those bookends. Submitting one to another. Now, uh some commentators have said, well, it says to the wives specifically submit because they, have a, they maybe have difficulty submitting. It says to the husbands love because they have difficulty loving. Um, and I don't know who makes those rules, you know, but I don't think I don't see that myself. I don't I don't. There's nothing in the text that indicates that at all. That 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 men are any better at submitting than, than women or men are any less than women at loving. I, you know, there's a reason that Paul addresses this in the way he does for the family order and the way his world has been established in God's plan of salvation. Because He, be, he begins by saying submitting to one another. And I think if we're all honest, part of our growth as individuals in our spiritual walk as Christians is this whole, this is not easy. This is a word, I mean, the, the reason that this word causes so much controversy is because it's it's not a word that that is natural or comes easy to us. We believe in, in, in our church, we believe in the historic Christian doctrine of original sin, that we are all born with a sin nature, and that you do not... You do not become sinful because you start sinning, but you are born a sinner. That's clearly what the Apostle Paul teaches. If you read Romans, that's clearly the case. We are born with a sin nature. I was born with a sin nature. And that's why I needed redemption and salvation. That's why Jesus Christ died in the cross at Calvary to pay for my sins. Because as a sinner and being separated from God, I cannot change that. I, the Bible says I'm dead in my sins. And being dead in my sins, I have no power to make myself alive by trying hard. But Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, when he went on the cross and died for my sin, and we'll talk about that also in this passage, made a way for me to become alive to God. Amen? Amen. And so and so, th- this submission is part of my sinful nature, my, my resistance of, to submission because... And I think especially, let's be honest, in our culture that, that, you know, we are very individualistic. It's one of the things we pride ourselves on. It's one of the things that we pride on is our individual freedom, our individual, uh, our, 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 our ability to, to do things ourselves, our ability to not have, you know, you're not going to tell me what to do type of thing. And there's, there's a sense in which this, this is something that does not come easy to us. It is part of our sin nature. I'll just speak for myself. That's part of my sin nature, to be told what to do, to to be forced to to place myself under. But Paul says here to the the Christians, we are to submit one to another. And I want you to notice, now the NIV, I think, softens it a bit, frankly, this next phrase. You notice it says here, out of reverence for Christ. The King James translation, the New King James, it's the word fear. And it, that's and the, and the reason it's the word fear. It's the Greek word phobos. Does that sound familiar? Any of you have any phobias, huh? or do you know anybody that has a phobia, a fear of something? So maybe you have a fear of flying, a fear of heights, a fear of preaching, you know, of coming up front here and talking. You know, uh, a phobia. It's fear, and that's really what it says. And yes, I understand, and I do think there's a distinction. Although I'm not exactly sure how always to make it clear, there is a distinction of being afraid of God and having reverential fear of God. You know, my children, I don't think should be, when, I'm, when I was raising my kids or now you think my grandkids, they shouldn't be afraid of me in the fact that I'm, they get scared when I come in the room. But there should be a, a respect in and in a sense of fear of authority that, yes, as the authority figure in my family, if 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 rules are broken and discipline is meted out, the, the person in authority does that. And so there is a godly fear. You all understand that's not that complicated, is it? But that is the word. So I just I just want to say, I don't want to soft pedal this by making it sound like the word fear here is just sort of a uh, an empty rhetorical phrase. Paul says Christians submit to one another out of fear of Christ, out of reverence, serious reverence for Christ. Because God has ordered his world in such a way that there are relationships that we place ourselves under somebody's authority, if you will, or we submit. And uh, and, and of course, as we think about this, as we think about this, mutual submission implies humility. For you to willingly... You know, it's one thing if you lived under a dictatorship, if you lived under a society where you, you know, where many people have throughout history, probably the most of people, frankly. But when you willingly place yourself under the authority of somebody or something else, it's something that is a humble experience that you do out of a choice because it's the right thing to do. And the Bible tells us God has a plan for his world. He has a plan that, that works well. And the model for this is not to be taken lightly, and the model for this clearly is Jesus Christ. In Ephesians, we've been reading about the, being filled with the Spirit, in the, in the previous passage, we're going to consider on the day that our our, um, our choir sings their songs to us, and this idea of 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 of, of singing, making music, and spiritual songs. Be filled with the Spirit, in verse 18. Don't be drunk with with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And as as a member of the body of Christ, I have been given the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, now be filled with that Spirit. Now, we don't teach in our church, in our tradition, a second blessing of the Holy Spirit, like a Pentecostal charismatic church teaches. We also do not teach the holiness, that we reach a certain point in our life where where we have a second filling where we, where we reach a perfection. This is an ongoing principle. I have the Holy Spirit. I don't have any more of the Holy Spirit than I will ever have. But on my daily walk, I am to be filled with the Spirit. It is, to, it is to come out of me. That's what the Bible says. Be filled with the Spirit. It's not a second blessing. It's an ongoing filling in our daily experience. And the Apostle Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. And as you do so, what should be the result is singing, making music in your heart, Thanks, always giving thanks and submitting to one another. The model for this is Jesus Christ. This is why Paul says, Submit to one another out of fear or reverence for Christ. Now, I would like you to turn just a few pages in your Bible or a few swipes on your screen, whatever it is he's <laughs> Gotta change our how I refer to these things here. Uh, Philippians chapter two. And Philippians chapter 2 is a wonderful, this is worthy of a sermon or a series of sermons by itself. But here is the model. Here's where we, here's where we get this from. This is, this is what Jesus Christ, Paul begins this, you know, he says, if you have any encouragement, being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship with the Spirit, tenderness, compassion, make my joy compete, being like-minded, the same love. So it's this unity. And then he says in verse 3, to the Christians, to the body of Christ, do nothing. It doesn't say some things. It says nothing. This is a high standard. This is a high standard. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, which is our human tendency. At least I'm just speaking for myself. I know myself. It is a human tendency. To do things out of conceit and selfish ambition, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Believers, Philippians in the church, you are. To, I am to consider you as better than me. When we come back to the passage on, you know, wives submit to your husband, and say, "Well, Teresa, the Bible says submit to my, to, to me as the father and husband of our, of our family." my spiritual leadership, and at the same time, I am to think of her as better than me. You know, the world doesn't think this way. This is not to say, wait a minute, there's a disconnect here. No, um, I am to think of all of you as better. I am the pastor of this church. And in our church here, being pastor of the church doesn't mean I am your, I am like the supreme authority figure. You know, we, we ask for, for, for respect for authority, and we as elders and pastors have authority but we are also the chief shepherds. I'm the number one shepherd in this church. I'm supposed to be the number one servant in this church. This, it doesn't make sense, you know, logically maybe. But this is what the Bible says. And the Bible says, and, and, and Paul says here to the church, he says, you, you should think of other people as better than yourselves. And you should start that in your own families. Again, I, I tell you, if you can't do it with those people closest to you, if I can't do it with my wife and my children, my family, the people I spend the most time with, if I, if I can't try it, and I'm not perfect at it, believe me, I'm not perfect at it, but if I'm not willing to practice that and put it into work in my house, then how can I come and expect to do it here? You know, it doesn't work that way. You got to, You know, in fact, it's easier to do it for everybody else and the people that we live with, because we're in close quarters. Paul says here, put them first. And look what he says here. Each of you should not look only to your own interests. Why? Because that's our natural tendency. But you should also look to the interests of others. Your attitude, here it is. Your attitude, and I'm talking to you and I'm talking to me. I'm not talking to the person next to you. I'm not talking to the person that down the road. You're thinking, boy, I hope they're listening today. I hope I'm listening today. And I hope you're listening today. My attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now look at this standard, friends. Look at this standard. Who? Being in very nature God. He is God. Father, listen, it is not Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They are all equal. They are three personas or personhoods, but they all share the same essence or substance of divinity. What one is, the other one is. It's a profound mystery. And it says right here, he was in the very nature, but he did not consider equality. Now listen, if somebody wants to debate whether Jesus Christ is fully God or not, this verse, this passage will use some some words that are open to understanding interpretation. But I mean look what it says. He did not consider equality. How do you argue with that? Either you are or you aren't equal. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held on to. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name that at his name all knees and all tongues will confess and every knee will bow. I mean, I want you to think about this for a minute. This is our example. This is our example. This is our standard. That we are to be like Christ. And what did Jesus Christ do? He was fully God. He wasn't any less and he isn't any less God than God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. He is God. But he willingly placed himself. He submitted himself. Under the rule of the headship of the Father. For you and for me. He willingly emptied himself. And, the, and this is the interesting phrase here. And this has this kind of led to no end of theological discussion. The word, the word kenosis here in the Greek. This word for empty. There's been much ink spilt, if you know what I mean. Over the idea of what does this mean? What did he empty himself of? What parts of his divinity did he give up? When he came to Earth, I was thinking about when Faith and Rachel were up here singing. I think of our young people and all—you know—both these young ladies grew up in our youth program too in our church. I remember going on a camping trip one time up at uh, over in east and across the water with our class, and we were sleeping in tents. And uh, most of us and I was it—was it Faith or Rachel? Which one was the which one got the, it? Was Faith right? Faith was just a little an infant, and so she slept in the guitar case. That was her crib. <laughs> I mean, what else would you expect from an Ockwell, right? It was open. It was open. <laughs> uh, well, I always remember that. this little Ockwell baby sleeping in the guitar case. And uh, you think of a baby. Think of Jesus Christ as we do every Christmas. God himself, what did he give up? What did he empty of himself to become a baby when he was laying in that, in that guitar case, that manger in Bethlehem? Did he know he was God? Did he? I mean, it, you know, it's a mystery. But listen, when we start looking at this and saying what did he give up, we miss the point. It's a metaphor, pure and simple. What it's what what is it simply saying when it says he emptied himself? He made himself nothing. He emptied himself. That's exactly what he did. It's not. It doesn't. It doesn't really matter what he retained. What the point is when he came to Earth, the goal was to go to the cross at Calvary, and when he when this is finalized at the cross at Calvary, this journey is complete of this complete giving of himself. That's the focus. He emptied himself. He gave himself. Apostle Paul says, "I am being poured out like a drink offering. My time of my departure is near." Jesus Christ was fully God fully sinless, fully perfect. He had the whole universe he's created. Our little earth is a pinprick. And the more we learn, the more we see, the more amazed we are that, that he gave himself fully by coming to earth and living as a human being, having a real body. And going to the cross of Calvary and and allowing Himself to be abused, to be slapped, to be spit upon, to be punished, to be tortured, and to go to the cross and to die and to empty Himself. That's what I think the focus is. He gave Himself, emptied Himself fully at the cross of Calvary. And it appears that in the early church, uh, the early Christians did not go around wearing crosses. It was not a symbol that they were... It was a symbol of scorn. It would be like today if, if, if Jesus came today and, and died in an electric chair. Would that electric chair become our, our symbol? Would you wear it around your neck? But as the centuries have gone by, of course, our point is the empty cross is important. It's up there, it's here. We do have it, in Christians word and Christians wear it in jewelry and so on. And it's appropriate as a, as a symbol of, of the fact that he died. For us, it is sort of ironic when sometimes you watch entertainers and other people and so on, who sometimes have some pretty disgusting uh, entertainment acts and they're wearing crosses. <laughs> you know, this is like a piece of jewelry. Think, Why would they wear that? Um, that's a whole other story. But 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 the point is, the cross was a, was a was a cross of scorn. It was the Roman execution of the worst criminal possible. So, the point of this is, I've chosen, instead of going into detail, back to Ephesians chapter 5, that if we come to understand what Jesus Christ, what he did for us, what he gave up, how he submitted himself, how humble. He, why? Why did he do this? Why did he do this? Because he loved us. He loves us. And he is not going to love us any more than he loves us today or he loved us then. Because he loved us. And because he chose to love us, he emptied himself. He humbled himself. He submitted himself to God the Father, not because God the Father was greater than him, not because Jesus the Son was any less equal than God the Father, but for God's plan of salvation to effectively bring to to fruition God's plan of salvation. He willingly placed himself under the Father's authority. And Paul says, listen, let's read this. Wives. Submit to your husbands as what? To the Lord. It is your service to Christ. It's because you love Christ. It's because you are willing to be a part of God's plan that you place yourself under your husband's spiritual leadership in your family. It has nothing to do with equality. It has nothing. it has nothing to do in my, in my wife, I am not more spiritually. Capable or, or 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 intrinsically spiritual than my wife. When we were married, and, and you know, I asked her to marry me. She didn't have to say yes. She could have said no, right? And some of you are thinking, yeah, why didn't she say no, 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 no? <laughs> she could have said no, but she accepted that. We called a proposal, and, and 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 she. But you know what? I'll have to tell you this. Yes, I know. I know all the ramifications. I know all the difficulties. I know all the dimensions. And I understand this. And if I were an abusive husband, and I put my family or Teresa in physical harm or danger, yes, in submitting to Christ, she has to do the right things to protect herself and her family. I understand all that. Okay? But I'm talking about the big principle of what what God has, has placed here. And this is why when I talk with couples, when they come in for marital counseling, we talk about this passage and and, and try to to, to create and understand this healthy understanding. I do have a responsibility in my family for spiritual leadership. I have that responsibility. And before God, I have to answer for that. Uh, Fathers and husbands, will talk about that next week. So don't stay home, okay? I am responsible. I do have that responsibility. Now, like I told you, my mother was married to a non-believer. And so he, he, my father was not going to provide spiritual headship or leadership in my, in my house. It was my mother who took me to church. It was my mother. Uh, you know, my father was Jewish, but it was my mother that my spiritual heritage came from. Because she was the spiritual leader by, by default. And I, so, yes, I am, I'm fully aware of all these things. My point today is, in a, in a healthy, growing relationship it's not that complicated if we're doing it to the Lord and we're willing to understand this is what Jesus Christ did for us. And so when he talks about this, when he talks about children and parents, and, and, and Pastor Kevin will preach on this, we'll talk about our jobs. When you, when you apply for a job and you take a job and you work, no, one, no one's holding a gun to your head and saying, you have to go work there. You make a choice to work there. You place yourself. I'm under all sorts of authority. I'm the chief servant in this church. I'm really not in charge of hardly anything. You know, people say, is this your church? No, it's not my church. I'm not in charge of much here. Um, I'm the chief servant. I'm supposed to set the chief example. I'm, I'm submissive to the elder board of this church. I'm an elder, but as individual elders, we are submissive to ourselves as a board. Um, in your workplace, you are, you, you are submissive. Those of you that go to college, and sometimes you sign on to go to a college where they have certain rules, and, 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 and you don't go to college and you know ahead of time that there's a dorm hour and you've got to be in by 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock, and then start complaining about it. You submitted yourself to that. You joined the military. I, I, you know, I wasn't in the military, but at least I know enough from some of my friends that you don't go to boot camp and tell the drill sergeant, You can't talk to me that way, right? I mean, you place yourself under that authority, okay? Listen, we are under authority in all sorts of relationships. And every one of those where we we practice submission, we submit one to another. We do that. Why? Because of Christ. And even in a dangerous or difficult situation where, I have to, where maybe you have to make difficult and tough decisions of what to do, at the same time, you do that as under Christ's authority. And you look to Christ for your leadership, for your guidance, and you submit yourself to the Lord. It's, it's, it's what God has called us to do. Listen, friends. So maybe it's easier. Read it. For verse 23, the husband is the head of the wife. For God's plan of salvation, Christ became submissive to the Father. For the order of society and for the spiritual leadership of the family, and I really use that term and I use it very strongly, the spiritual leadership of the family in terms of responsibility. And yes, I've given you an example in my own case where where sometimes that because of what happens, that, that it, it changes, the wife steps up to it, if the husband won't, in my case, that's what my mother did. But God's plan... The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And that is the Greek. That's, that's the language. You can cut it apart and put it back there, but that's still what it says. It has to do with a willing placing yourself under spiritual leadership, just as I place myself under spiritual leadership of the elders of this church, and we do one to another. I'm ordained by the Grace Gospel Fellowship. I place myself under that authority because I I took that on when I sought ordination by them. There are all sorts. I'm a citizen of this country. I am under the authority of my government. We find ourselves, listen, friends, it might be helpful to understand, to look at it from the standpoint, we are doing this as Christ did. It is something we do. Because we love Jesus Christ. This is something we do because the church as a body is supposed to be seen by our neighbors and friends as an entity that has placed itself under Jesus Christ out of a willing heart. Because as our example... And, and, and we're going to wrap this up next week, but I just, you know, all of you will be here probably. It's a holiday weekend. I know that. When Paul says in verse 32, marriage is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. I just want to tell you in closing, the New Testament, the New Testament, the epistles, these particular writings, especially by the Apostle Paul, gave a whole new meaning to marriage. A whole new meaning to it. In the Roman world, it was primarily a contractual agreement. In fact, in the Roman world, and I have one of the commentaries that you could, I'd be glad to let you look at, where they documented that the, the father, like in my case, Teresa's dad, Trainer, would have still had authority to, uh, to initiate divorce if he chose to. He could have, he could have initiated divorce and took his daughter back. It was a contractual agreement. The father had absolute authority over his family to the point of putting his children to death if he wanted. It didn't happen very often, but he could. Slaves and and wives were expected to adopt the religion of the head of the household. This is all sorts of complications when all of a sudden it was was said in the early Christian church, "It's, it's a religion for women and slaves because so many were coming to Christ. And all the dynamics it brought into the picture when the husbands weren't believers at all. Listen, Christian Christianity brought a whole new dimension. We were just reading our Old Testament this week, and you know as much as we revered David, the man after God's own heart, we got to the end of it and started reading his lineage. This child of this woman. Not, not, none of them had the same mother. All these children that were vying for his kingship, not one of them had the same mother. And here's you know, man after God's own heart, but Look at the example he left Solomon, who single-handedly brought down the whole nation because of, his, because, of, because of what he did, marrying a thousand wives and concubines. It's the Old Testament. The New Testament brings a whole new dimension and reality and, and wonderful experience to marriage. Christian marriage. Why? Because it becomes a picture of Christ and his complete sacrificial, giving, ultimate love for his body, the church. It's important. It's important. And I want you to take home from this today. What I want you to take home from this today is that this is about Christ. I'd like you to just take home with you today as you put put into practice in your lives the relationships you find yourself in where you are called to, to have submission, where you have responsibility. I want you to take home with you today we are to follow and learn from our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. It is the only reason we are even sitting here today. Amen? Come and close our service. With our final song. We're going to sing I Surrender All. And I think we should sing this as if we really. As we leave today, I'm going to close in prayer and I'm actually going to pray for lunch. Uh, So when those of you are staying for the auction, the fundraiser, we'll actually go right out those doors for the most part. If you need to go around the other side, get kids and stuff, that's fine. Go down to the gym. You can sit down. You can start eating. We're going to move things right along. So I'm going to pray for lunch now. If you're not staying for the auction, I'm going to pray for your lunch too. Because you're going to eat, (laughs) I'm sure you're going to eat something today. If you can't stay for the auction and you'd even like to make a gift, feel free to make a gift to this ministry. You know, think about I Surrender All. It comes in all sorts of forms. These guys going on this mission trip this summer. Um, They're going to Africa. They're going to be gone three weeks. A couple of them are using up pretty much all their vacation for the year. Another one is self-employed, so he won't be working. Our friend's from Leavenworth. Uh, he's retired electrical engineer, and his expertise is just going to be so helpful. And his grandson is going with him. These guys are surrendering. They're not quite sure what's going when they get there. You know, there's some unknowns still. Trust me. But they're going. And I want to encourage you, you know, whatever God has in front of you this week, every one of us, God is asking us to surrender all. Let's start with those closest to us. Let's start with those areas of our life that if we're holding back from God, every area but this little one here, we didn't sing, I surrender most. I surrender 95%. We just sang, I surrender all. Because He gave all to us. Heavenly Father, we do thank you today for the privilege of reading your word. Lord, we we thank you for, for Christian marriage. We thank you for parenting. We thank you for work relationships. We thank you for the opportunity we have to demonstrate your love by first submitting to you and, Lord, in the multiple relationships we find ourselves into, even when there's times of difficulty and, and serious challenge and danger and difficulty even, we can still submit to you. And we can still make every decision with prayer and consideration for you and serve you, Lord. And, Father, I want to I pray for the marriages and the family relationships in this church family. Now, Lord, we are not perfect. We are not perfect because we're sinners. But what a privilege, God. What a privilege it is to begin anew each day to show your love. And I pray that with each other, with our families, whether young or old, that we will put others first. And we will think of ourselves last. And we will be like Jesus Christ. And that we will be the servants of of all. What a privilege. Help us this week as we walk with you and live for you. Bless the food we are about to share. Bless this time of the auction, Lord. This is it's a fun time, but a time to raise funds that will go toward an eternal purpose of spreading your word and teaching others to share your word in Tanzania. And Lord, it will bring reward for eternity. And what a privilege. So bless our time together. In Christ's name, all God's people can say it together, Amen. Amen.